Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Would you pray with me again this morning? Jesus, I pray today you would have your way in this place. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with me. Pray you'd have your way with these friends. Thank you for the privilege that we have to come and to worship you and to to sit at your feet and to tell you that we love you and honor you today. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray, God, I I, want to pray that it would become alive to us, and yet, Lord, I know that your word is living and active. It is alive. But I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit today would help the truth of what we're going to read come alive for each of us. And so speak to our hearts today, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bible, if you want to turn to John chapter 13, we're going to flip back and forth to John chapter 12 as well. And while you're turning there, uh, I'm wondering if we need a recount on our change challenge. It's interesting, it came out to be a tie, but I won't, I won't get a hold of the Attorney General or anything to demand a recount. We'll just let the vote stand as it has stood uh, because it's going to be for a good cause. So uh, sometime, uh, hopefully before the month of November is over, we will have our dunking, um, I wanted to say contest, but we're both going to get dunked, Heath. So what kind of contest is that? We'll both participate. So hopefully before it gets too cold outside. So uh, anyway, we'll be looking forward to that. And uh, I am so grateful for uh, Vicki and um, Lynn and all of you who serve. Uh, hearing the testimony of them, Vicki wanted me to say she started as the organist when she was five years old. So, wow, what a talent, what a talent. Uh, we are grateful for the musicians and the praise team and the singers and the media team and so many people who serve here at our church. You will. Hopefully remember that last week we talked about the word shelter, our mission statement uh, that you came up with, that God gave us, I should say, uh, three years or so ago, a little over three years ago, was making disciples uh, that serve, shelter, and support the transforming work of Christ. And we talked a little bit about shelter last week as we talked about Lazarus and how Jesus loved him and he loved Mary and Martha. And so uh, a lot of the characteristics of that story demonstrated what we want to be as a church when it comes to shelter. Uh, today we're going to kind of move our attention to that next word, which is serve. What is that all about? And we have a lot of people in our, again, our church family who do a great job serving. Uh, we know that last week we looked at Lazarus. Jesus walked up to the, to the tomb that he had been placed in and told them to roll away the stone and people were worried about the stench and he called out Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came out of the tomb and not too long after that there was a big uh, party that they had where Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus all gathered together to celebrate what Jesus had done and at this party six days before the Passover it's interesting 
John gives us a timeline all throughout uh, his gospel. He tells us, and this is key, church family, to, to kind of catch us. He tells us important facts. And one of those facts is that when Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus had this party, it was six days before uh, Passover. Now, what's interesting to me, you may have noticed this if you've been studying your Bible, is about one half of John's gospel, one half of his entire book is dedicated to one week of Jesus' life. 50% of the book of John talks about one week of his life, and over the next few weeks we'll look at that week as he uh, eventually is crucified because uh, people did not like him. Uh, They liked his miracles, but they didn't like what he was challenging them to do and who he was challenging them to be. Matthew uses about 33% of his gospel to cover the last week. Mark about 40%. Luke about 25%. So just if you're a stats person. So if you flip back to chapter 12, and you could hold your finger there at chapter 13 because we're going to get there. Mary does something very interesting. They're there at this party, and verse 2 says they made a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. That's with Jesus. And Mary took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was attending to betray him, said, why is this perfume have been used, this could be sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he's had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. And Jesus said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have, but you do not always have me. I want to make sure we understand that story in light of what we're going to read in just a few moments in John chapter 13, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, her Lord. It's interesting that she does that, and if you know uh, the customs of the day, uh, Martha, of course, was busy serving. There's a whole other sermon there, but Mary's custom of the day was very unusual because when a guest normally entered the home, what would happen would be usually the guest's feet were washed with water, and the top of their head, they may put a little ointment, a little nard, a little perfume on. But in this situation, she actually does the opposite. She doesn't wash his feet with water. She washes his feet with the perfume. And not only washes his feet with the perfume, but uses her hair, which for a lady to take down her hair in public like that, that is something a Jewish woman would hardly ever do. That's just something that was unheard of. So this demonstration of love and of serving, we see right here in this chapter from Mary, it was a remarkable gift. It was a humble gift. It was an extreme gift. If you know the cost of of what she did, it was a year's wages that she poured out at one time, in one sitting, on Jesus' feet to put that perfume. And yet there was one in the crowd who objected. I have been wrestling in the seat this morning whether to say what I'm getting ready to say to us. There's always somebody in the crowd who likes to object when Jesus is at work. I don't know about you, but uh, after the last few years, uh, it's hard to get customer service anywhere. 
even a national food chain that I could tell you about that serves the Baptist bird that is not open today. I've been visiting there on occasion, and even over the last few months, I wonder, oh my gosh, where is the customer service? Because things are slipping. And the reason most of the time that is slipping and customer service is slipping is because the people that should be serving are oblivious to what is happening. Sometimes they are gathered around in the back leaning against the fryer, and they're doing this. Sometimes they're talking. Sometimes they're whatever's going on. They're, they're oblivious. Church family, I, I want to beg you this morning with everything within me. We, I, do not have time. We do not have time to be oblivious with where God is taking us and what He has in store for us. I am fearful because the steps that we're on are a 10,000 step journey and we're just out of the gate. We're on those first few steps. What gives me courage and encouragement is to look back at some of the history things that we've talked about and go, wow, what can be done because 20 years ago, Crossroads Baptist Church did this. 50 years ago, Crossroads Baptist did this. The people in that church did these great things. That gives me encouragement and courage to go, okay, God can use us to do some great things. But if we're not careful, because of the difficulty maybe and the challenge of where God has us, we will start to just go into osmosis and it'll be white noise and we'll become oblivious to what God wants to do. Judas here, who was a disciple of Jesus, is totally totally oblivious to what is getting ready to happen and yet he was a disciple of Jesus. That tells me something. Be careful. Because even if you're a disciple of Jesus, you too can be oblivious if you're not careful. And so he objects. And then Jesus steps in and defends Mary's gift and says, leave her alone. What she did was honorable. And he defends Mary and explains what she did. And people continue to come because they're there to see Lazarus. They've heard about the miracle and word spreads. And the next day, because of of this great celebration of people, these witnesses that saw Lazarus come out of the tomb, there's this celebration, such a big celebration, in fact, that they put Jesus on this donkey and they start leading him down the street. And the people who saw that miracle happen and others, this swarm of a crowd comes out and they start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here he comes. So I encourage you to finish reading chapter 12, but that sets up so beautifully what I want us to look at this morning in John chapter 13. So let's look at it. Before the feast of the Passover, verse 1 says, Jesus, knowing, hang on to that word knowing because we're going to see that again, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, girded himself about. Again, John gives us a little time stamp there to say this was before the feast of the Passover. Another time reference that Jesus is here. Now he's having another meal. He's having a meal with his disciples. What do we learn from this, uh, this dinner, this occurrence with Jesus, with his, with his disciples? 
Because Jesus knew, we read that word knowing a couple of times, Jesus knew that his hour had come. As a matter of fact, he lived in anticipation of that hour, which is the first thing that we can learn from this passage of Scripture, and it's this. You and I need to live our life with the end in mind. We need to live our life with the end in mind. I, kept, I was looking frantically this morning, trying to find it, but there was a movie when I was a teenager, an 80s movie, where this gentleman went to the doctor. He was very rich. He was very wealthy, very well-to-do, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor gave him a very bad diagnosis. And so thinking that he only had a couple weeks left on this planet Earth, he started to go out and find people with passion about who he could help this person and what charity he could give this money to and how he could do this or that, this or that, and he gave away everything that he had. And he goes back to the doctor a couple of weeks later, and the doctor says, please come in and sit down. I need to, I'm kind of embarrassed about this. I need to tell you something. And he says to him, I'm so sorry, but I mixed up your medical records with somebody else's medical records. After he had already given away a lot of what he had. And thinking that he would get angry, the medical doctor was very fearful. But instead of getting angry, the man said this, the last two weeks of my life are how I should have been living all along because I lived with the end in mind. Now, for some of us, that's easier to do than others because maybe we feel like we're a little bit closer to the end. But young people, young couples, parents, grandparents, hear me. That is so important that we live with the end in mind. Pizza commercial says it this way. What do you want on your tombstone? We're not talking about pizza this morning. But what do you want said about you? The great Billy Graham, who's one of my heroes of the faith, didn't wait till a week before he passed away to decide what kind of legacy he wanted to have. He decided as soon as God saved him what kind of legacy he wanted to have. And we have to do that individually, and we have to do that as a church. And Jesus calls them out. He knew the last, his last hours had come. His public ministry was just about to be over. And in close to 24 hours from this story that we read right here, and close to 24 hours from this point, he's going to be hanging on a cross. So as we keep reading, think about that fact, that in about 24 hours or less, he will be hanging on a cross, and some of what comes out of his mind Knowing, the scripture says twice, knowing what is to come, some of the comments he's making are like, wow, you're saying that? And you know what's getting ready to happen. 24 hours from now, you're not going to be here. And yet, you're making these kind of comments. Let's flip back and read some of them. John chapter 12. If you want to flip back and look at verse 23. Jesus says a lot. He answered them saying this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in the world shall keep it to life eternal. What? Huh? What? Can you see the disciples going, what? What? He who loves his life? Loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, verse 26, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall he be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus was living his life with the end in mind. The cross is not even mentioned yet. 
in this chapter, but Jesus knew that the cross was coming. It's being foreshadowed because his hour had come. And the second thing that I see here that he says, which is kind of interesting at the end of those verses, at the end of verse 1 it says, He knew he would depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his own. He hadn't finished loving them. The idea behind this phrase, to the end, is loving them to the fullest or to the uttermost. What's the lesson he's trying to get the disciples to understand and us to understand, I think, is simply this. The second thing I see here in this passage is we need to love people with an unconditional love. The world will know, Jesus said, that we are his disciples by the love that we show to one another. Not a lot of love happening in the world right now. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand if you want people to be impacted with truth, then you got to love people with unconditional love. Here they are, they're at the supper. The Bible tells us in verses 2 and 3, the supper is, is actually in progress. It's a better translation. I think uh, the New American Standard says during supper. Some of your translations may say at the end of supper. We know it's really not the end of supper because if you keep reading on the rest of the chapter, you'll find out this is a long kind of ceremonial supper going on right here. And Jesus is talking and he's trying to teach and all this is going on during this process. And so supper is happening, and yet right there in the midst of that, the devil puts into the heart of Judas a plan to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew. Verse 3 tells us Jesus knew the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus was not taken to the cross. Jesus was not forced to the cross. Jesus went willingly to the cross because that's what the Father wanted him to do. And we'll be celebrating in just a few short weeks Christmas. And I did not plan this intentionally, but it's interesting. We can sometimes get lost in half of the Bible story. We can get lost in the little baby who was in a manger and ga-ga, goo-goo, ga-ba-ba-ba-ba. You know, all that's great and wonderful. And the gifts that they brought to him at the manger scene. And we can also just focus on the fact that he died and resurrected. But my dear friends, the two are connected. God Almighty knew at the foundation of the world, that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus was actually born to die. That's why he came. And he knew that. Blows my mind that he knew that, but he was God. He is God. And Jesus, knowing that this was going on, he knew it was very important that he continued to show these disciples what they needed to know. It was a very important time that's going on here. It was important because of the hour, because the crucifixion was about to take place and the terror of all that was to come, and yet Jesus is dealing with this. As a matter of fact, again, if you go back and look at verse uh, 27 of chapter 12, Jesus himself says, my soul has become troubled. Why would Jesus, creator of the world, God in the flesh, become troubled? He's becoming troubled because he knows what is coming down the road. And the gospel doesn't, uh, the gospel accounts sometimes don't always tell us the motive or the thinking behind what Jesus does. Sometimes they just tell us and we have to kind of figure that out. But it's interesting, Jesus is going to tell us in this chapter the importance of what he is doing. He's not going to leave it to us to figure out like he did a lot of times in the parables where people go, what in the world? I don't get that. Let's have a debrief and try to figure out what Jesus, he's going to tell the disciples in just a minute with what he does, why He's doing it in the purpose of it. So what is that? What does he do? Well, he rose from supper. 
He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. He girded himself. Verse 5 says, He poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with this towel which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what, what I do you don't really realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. In other words, I'm going to tell you in just a minute why I'm doing what I'm doing. And Peter says, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken up his garments and reclined at the table, again he said to them, do you not know what I have done to you? And they're probably looking at each other going, we don't understand what, what just happened. Because here he is, a Jewish rabbi, a teacher. And he is washing their feet. This was an extreme, extreme act of servanthood. According to the Jewish laws and traditions, between a teacher and his disciples, the teacher, as the rabbi, the teacher had no right to even ask the disciples to wash his feet. And now yet Jesus is going, I'm actually going to wash your feet. And so they're probably trying to figure out what's going on. And so Jesus explains it to them in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. For so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Beautiful example of the third thing that I see here in this passage if we're going to model Jesus, is to learn to serve and not be served. Church family, can I just commend you on the way that you serve? We live in a world where that is not popular. As a matter of fact, it's contrary to what most of the world teaches It's contrary to most of, well, a lot of, I should say, even churches sometimes teach. I've told you the story before where I was at a ministry event in Louisiana. And the pastor came in with his entourage. Six people, bodyguards, one guy carrying his briefcase, one guy carrying his Bible. Now, I don't know their hearts. I don't know if their heart was to serve him. The persona did not communicate that. The persona communicated, I'm the pastor of the Grande Church of whoever, and these are my servants. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, what do you think the greatest attribute is of a disciple you know what that's a difficult question i'm not sure that serving people would be number one maybe it is but it's got to be in the top three top five maybe serving jesus demonstrates this incredible thing where he begins to wash the disciples feet it must have been crazy to them because he starts to do what is the lowest thing that he could do in this household, which was to start to wash their feet. 
And they must have thought, what, what are you doing this for? You are the king. And it's interesting, maybe he did this for a particular reason. If you look at Luke's gospel account, Luke 22, John doesn't tell us this, but the disciples entered the room with an attitude. Some of you know the story. When they entered into the room, they were arguing. And what were they arguing about? Yes, I hear some of you. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I think it's going to be me, Peter. No, it's going to be me. Andrew, go back and forth. I don't know what the discussion was, but they were debating about who was the greatest. So maybe by Jesus doing this, he was saying to them, you guys came in the room with the wrong perception. I'm getting ready to demonstrate tangibly for you how God sees his kingdom. And so he begins to wash out this modern-day parable right in front of them because Jesus knew actions speak louder than words. And I think about some of the people that we've talked about this morning who've been serving so faithfully for so many years in this church. Let me just say to them and to us, those actions have spoken louder than their words. It's easy to say, I'm going to be a servant. And serve for a year or two or three or four. And when it gets 10, 20, 30, okay, wow, they're serious now. They're really actually going to be a servant. And Jesus rose from the supper, a place of rest and comfort, much like he rose from his throne in heaven. He laid aside his garments, much like he laid aside his glory to come and be here among us. He took up a towel and girded himself. He took the form of a servant. And he poured out this water into a basin, much like he would go to pour out his blood upon the cross so that we would have life eternal with him. It's interesting, decades later, when Peter would write about Christians and the attribute of Christians, he would record these words in 1 Peter chapter 5, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. More literally, if you go study that passage, Peter's saying, wrap the apron of humility around you. Because he had seen Jesus kneel and wash his feet. And yet he cries out on this occasion, before he wrote those words, Wow, Lord, what are you doing? You're, you're washing my feet. And Jesus says, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will understand after this. You can't wash my feet. This foot washing ceremony was a powerful lesson in humility, but it was much more than that. Jesus was saying, If you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no fellowship with me. I have no fellowship with you. And then, and then Peter says, Well, then wash all of me. And Peter didn't quite understand Jesus was trying to explain to him that, Peter, if you know me, you know me, much like you and I know Jesus, but we all oftentimes need a cleansing from the Lord. Church family, I, does Crossroads need a cleansing from the Lord? I do. I need a cleansing from the Lord. It's easy to think, well, I've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years. And to begin to put your stock in longevity and your relationship with Jesus and to forget that he is the only one who has the power to cleanse you from all sin and to make you righteous. My long record, as great as long records are, and I love our ladies and our musicians, they're great. And they, they don't, they're, this is not their attitude, by the way. 
But as great as long records are, as long as I've been in ministry, that's a great record. That does nothing. That brings nothing to the table. It's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so I may not need to be fully washed. He's trying to explain this to Peter. You might need to be fully washed, Peter, but I just need to clean your feet symbolically to remind you, I am the one who keeps you righteous. And he explains this. You call me teacher and Lord, and I am. But then he says this. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, church, there's a lot of things that we read in the scripture that we do because Jesus says to do it. We have communion because Jesus tells us, This is my body broken. Do this, do this in remembrance of me. There's a lot of other things he tells us to do, and we, we model those in the life of the church. This is something I don't often see modeled in the life of the church. Why is that? I know it's a little little different. But Jesus, in his word, tells us that's what we're supposed to do. And you may be here this morning, as I read this again this week, I'm thinking, well, if I was in that room when this happened, and Jesus was there, I, being honest, you guys know me by now, I'm honest, I would gladly... Wash the feet of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said to do. He didn't say, men, disciples, line up. Now that I have washed your feet, you will come wash my feet. That's not what he said to do. What he said to do was you also ought to wash one another's feet. To serve one another. It's more than just a ceremony or a foot washing time. It's an attitude of service to serve people. That's difficult to do in our, in our world in which we live. At least it's difficult for me. Because the world tells us, look out for us and we're important and we should be the priority. Is Howard Moore in here, our chairman of deacons? Would you get him? I need him to come in here this morning. Thank you. Jesus wants us to follow his example. So this morning I want to follow his example. We have a lot of leaders in the life of our church. You've heard from a few of them this morning. Despite what you may hear among some circles, even at Crossroads, this is not a dictatorial church. This church is not led by one person except for Jesus Christ. He's our leader. It's a team effort. And we have a lot of leaders in our church. We have church council. You heard Joey mention. We have a lot of the people that you saw represented this morning. We have a a group of deacons that also serve. We have a board for our church. We have a lot of leaders in our church, which is a great thing. And so this morning, I would like for us as a church family to do what Jesus has challenged us to do. He says to the disciples, let me read it again. Do you not know what I've done 
to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. And so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Some of you are visiting today, and we're so glad that you're here. Today's a special Sunday in our church, as you've probably have figured out. We won't be having small groups. But I truly believe that if those outside this building saw churches serving, people in the church serving the way Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand serving, we would be talking about a much different building. We would be talking about needing another floor in this room and space to put people because we would not be able to keep them from coming in if we serve them the way Jesus served. We're doing pretty good. I say that as the pastor just looking, humanly speaking, I don't always see what the spiritual eyes Jesus sees with. Maybe he's looking at your heart this morning and he's challenging you in that area. Howard is our chairman of deacons. Come on up here, brother. Have a seat right there if you would. Just to represent our church family today. Church, I want to be honest. You know I'm honest with you. I look and I read some of the things happening in the Bible and in Scripture. I'm going to try to tell you this without getting emotional because we need to do what we need to do and go to whatever you have on your agenda for the rest of the day. My prayer for myself, for my family, for our church is, God, would you do something so great in Crossroads that there would be no mistake that it's not about any person. It's only about Jesus. And as I was reading the passage again this week, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was almost as if I just felt this impression upon my heart. If you want to see God do at Crossroads what God did in the Scripture, what God did in the early church, then why don't you start doing at Crossroads what Jesus did when He was alive? It's kind of like you've heard that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And Jesus has already shown us how to do it. He took off His coat among the crowd. He wrapped Himself with a towel. And he said, I want to wash your feet and honor you. I want to serve you. I'd like to do that. What do I do with a bowl? I can find my bowl.
So here's the deal this morning. Who's ready to be a servant? See, being a servant might not get you any accolades. Because a servant a lot of times is in the background. People don't even know. I don't want to start calling people out, but there's somebody else sitting in this room who's been on my heart all week. Very quietly, he goes about doing what God's called him to do every week. If you ask him to do something, he does it. Doesn't make a show about it. For our trunk retreat, we had this room packed. I don't know, 200, 300 people in here. When I walked out here on the parking lot, one of our greeters who serves every week was just smiling and welcoming people in. I thought, wow. I don't even know if anybody asked him to do that or not, but he was just took initiative. He wasn't oblivious that there's a crowd of people coming in that might need to be greeted. Folks, you don't have to be asked to do anything. You don't have to be asked to put on a list to serve. You don't have to be asked to be put on the nominating committee to have your name printed on a report. Jesus has already asked you and asked me to be a servant. Don Ford, would you come up here a minute, brother? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Thank you, my friend. May I have the privilege to serve you and wash your feet this morning? While Don's taking his socks and shoes off, I'm pretty good at reading the crowd. Some of you are a little nervous right now because you think he's going to go and do every single person. (laughs) Some of you ladies are thinking, I should have had my pedicure this week. I wish we had time. Because if we had time, yeah, I would. Here's what we do have time for, though. We have time for you in just a minute to do what I'm doing. I'm going to give you an opportunity so you'll be thinking, Lord, who is it that I need to serve today? This morning, we've got some empty seats up here. If you want to use the water, you can. We've got a stack of towels. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you feel led, just come grab a towel. And by the way, 
You don't have to take the person's socks and shoes off. Some of you are going, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. But you could go to them and symbolically just wipe their shoes off. Husbands, some of you may need to do that for your wives today. Wives, some of you may need to do it for your husband. Grandkids, children, some of you need to do that for your parents. I don't know what God's saying to you this morning. But I'm going to ask you just a few of you at a time, because we can't have a herd of people up here at one time. But once you see five, six people up here and grab a towel and kind of go back to their seat, or if you want to grab the person that you want to serve this morning, say, will you come with me and bring them to the front and have them sit right here in a chair for a moment. If you want to use the water, you can. If you want to symbolically wipe their feet, you can. After five or six do, and they kind of go back to your seats, and you kind of come on up. This is your time, church. I don't know what God's going to do. I've been praying about this service for weeks. But I truly believe if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, what He's called us to, what you collectively, we as a church body, have said God wants us to be is a church that serves, shelters, and supports. Then we've got to serve. Father, I pray right now, God, would you have your way? Lord, help us to be obedient to what you're pressing on our heart to do. Please don't allow us to leave this room today. Get in the car and drive away and go, Lord, I wish I had. May we all leave this morning with no regrets doing what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Who wants to serve the Lord today? There's some towels up here as you feel led to do that today. Lynn to play just for another couple of minutes and then we'll have our closing prayer so if you still feel impressed to or participate if you can't get out of your seat I understand we're going to have these towels at the doors for you to take this home today and uh, symbolically say I want to be a servant anybody else though feel led to do it we'll give you a couple more minutes before we sing a couple of songs to wrap us up today
stand together as we sing. I worship you. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.